Oh, snap, snap, snap. The world is finally waking up to the crap that's baked into and sprayed on kibble dog food. No longer can commercial pet food manufacturers fool us with pretty pictures and false promises. This is the raw dog food truth. The view and opinions expressed on this podcast are not intended to replace medical advice. Before starting any raw diet, do research, ask lots of questions, and consult your vet. Well, hello, raw feeders. I'm Dee Dee Mercer Moffat, CEO of Raw Dog Food and Company, where your pet's health is our business, and we're friends like my friend, Dr. Judy Jasek in Tennessee. Well, she doesn't let friends feed kibble, now do you, Dr. Jasek? No, ma'am. No, ma'am. No, <laughs> no, y'all. No. No kibble, y'all. Do you notice that people say that there? Are oh, they everybody, everybody says it. Everybody, especially the people that, you know, actually have the Southern accent. So, right. You know, uh, and they're not, you know, it's interesting. There are a lot of, a lot of natives. I mean, a lot of people born and raised here that don't leave. I'm like, well, maybe it's a good place to live <laughs> or right? people just don't want to go. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I always take that as a good sign. Yeah. Lots of natives. I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. Can't see any reason why I'd want to go someplace else. I, so I, they must I like think it here. more and more people, because of what we've been through and what we're still going through, uh, want away from the cities, right? They want away from all the chaos. It's just nuts and and scary, right? So we we've seen a lot of people move up here to the mountains, obviously, mm-hmm. but you know, you guys have a lot more land out there, which is nice. Yeah, can right? spread out, spread out a little bit. We're not surrounded by a bunch of houses like we were before. Max can just be out, you know, running around and doing his doing his dog thing and. So yeah, it's, it is nice. And it's just like, I, I'll joke, like I'll be out running errands or something and come back and say, man, I hit rush hour. Well, you know, I mean, rush hour is there's like three cars at the stop. <laughs> you know, like, come on, move so it. You actually, so you actually have to like wait at the stop sign, you know, for, for cars. Or if you're going out on the highway, we we're not too far from like a, like a secondary highway. Like it's, it, it takes, you know, I have to sit there for a little bit if you need to make like a left-hand turn or something like that. Right. That's, right. that's rush hour. It's it's really no rush hour. But compared to like no traffic, you you notice it. You know? Right. So it's it's interesting, the, the difference. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. But let me ask you, you're letting Max run around outside when this respiratory illness boogeyman is just lurking to grab his lungs <laughs> um yeah he's he's respiratory virus proof i just decided <laughs> what is happening my you know all of a sudden i started getting these these questions right what would you and dr jason do this um podcast on this mysterious illness and i said well what is it if what, what are you talking yeah. about? And then all of a sudden, you know, my mom sends me this article and my neighbors send me this article about, you know, these dogs coughing, right? And they're like, well, wait a minute, it's not kennel cough. So you can't treat it like kennel cough. And in this article that my mom sent me, I always find it interesting. So they say the three states that they're seeing this, Colorado, Oregon, and New Hampshire. Okay. And then it says, uh, you know, the whatever vet in one of these states are saying dogs have died. When when they make a statement like that, Dr. Jasek, dogs have died. Not true, how many because dogs. Dog, true, because dogs die all the time. They do. They do. And I, you know, so I start picking these things uh, apart so, you know, here, here's what this article says. And I'm just like, okay, well, this sounds like a lot of things. Uh, it's the symptoms of respiratory illness in dogs include coughing, uh, sneezing, nasal or eye discharge, and lethargy. Lethargy. Oh, my. Okay. Some cases of uh, the pneumonia. So now they're going to call it pneumonia. Okay. Some cases of the pneumonia progress quickly, making dogs very sick within 24 to 36 hours. So what do they suggest? They suggest that you go get a sphincter load of vaccines. Yeah, right. Make sure this your is, dog is totally it's, up to date. It's all 
That's all this is. I mean, I've seen these things. Yeah, I've been practicing for over 30 years. And I see these this fear propaganda come up. As like I was saying before we started the show, it's it's just to get people afraid to get them running into the vet. Like our vet's not making enough money selling vaccine. Maybe maybe people become leery of vaccines since all of COVID and people are becoming more leery on the human side. Maybe people aren't buying enough back. Maybe their vaccine sales are dropping off. So we got to make, you know, people afraid. But all of these symptoms, like, I'm like, yeah, could be, it's fall. And there's lots of dry leaves blown around and dogs breathe in all this stuff and make some cough. Like, I, I don't know, but our, you know, I always think about it just like, when we went through all this propaganda with the whole like COVID thing. And if they had never named COVID and never put out all this fear propaganda around that, it would have just been another flu season. Right. You know, it's all it would have been. If nobody had, if you'd never heard that word, you never had the news, people weren't dying. People start from the, whatever they this illness they were creating. People start dying from shots. They didn't die or very few died, but people die from the supposed flu every year, every year too. So when I hear this now, because I'm just not so bought into that viruses exist anymore, like, okay, these dogs are toxic. They're on poor diets. Um, And who knows what they're putting in these vaccines these days? I mean, I'm still seeing younger and younger cancer patients. These dogs are getting poisoned by something. And it's sadly, it's the veterinary profession. So what are they poisoning them with? Right. And, you know, I mean, for me, and I think for you, we're going to take a wait and see attitude. It's not like we're going to run in and go, I need to protect my pet. And, and for it's a, a, to me saying vaccinate and protect your pet. Those, those two don't compute for me. Now people may be turning us off as I say that because it ticks them off when we talk about vaccines. But you know what, guys, when you come to us and your dog has no hair on its legs, on its stomach, on its chest, uh, because they have so many toxins in them and they have an autoimmune problem, you don't just get an autoimmune problem from doing, you know, alternative uh, medicine and from feeding a fresh food diet. We don't see that. Okay. We don't see it. Never. So it's not as if we're just saying this because we have it out for the vaccines. It's that we have, we have such a huge body of evidence that says, what the hell is going on with this dog? It looks terrible. And I have seen, and there's this one case comes to mind because it was just so dramatic. And this gal was a six-month-old German shepherd. She'd done everything holistic. We did do some puppy vaccines, but we did just the monovalent. I think we just did one set, did titers. And uh, she was going on a road trip for the holidays and decided to get the rabies shot just because she didn't want to deal with being questioned, whatever. And she's on, this is, I was in Colorado at the time and she went back East somewhere to visit family. And she calls us just in a panic because her dog is literally like screaming in (gasps) pain, screaming. I mean, screaming and, you know, shepherds are kind of vocal anyway, but this dog was just like screaming in pain. And I'm like, it's autoimmune reaction to that shot. And this dog was healthy. I mean, you know, and she'd done a raw diet. She'd done everything really, you know, really clean. And that, so that tells me like that dog didn't just get that from nowhere. It came from that vaccine. Like I know again, it was only the one vaccine. So I know I gave the dog the red, it was the mercury free that I gave it. I gave the dog the rabies vaccine. She wanted it before a trip. So I said, okay, you know, you know, people requested it. I, I would do it. I, I don't think I could give a vaccine anymore. Honestly, don't think I could. I just can't, couldn't bring myself to inject poison into, into the dogs. But anyway, so she cuts her trip short, comes back. And this dog was so painful. Could hurt, You just looked at it and, and you just, it just hurt to look at this dog. You could, it hurt. I mean, it's like, I couldn't move its neck. And so I had this immune mediated polyarthritis and, you know, we got the dog through it, you know, okay. Um, but it's set off by vaccines. They disrupt normal immune system function. There's just, there's just no question in my mind. So, you know, people that are so afraid of these boogeyman viruses out there, 
I think you need to be a lot more concerned about vaccine side effects because they're they're way bigger consequences. Yeah, and I I so wish that Dr. Cowan would take all of these apart for us, right? Uh, take all of these, you know, he's working on the on the human side, and it's not much different. You same know, principles. It's totally. It's the same principles. It's just until we can, like, what can we say? Like, I think about this. So rabies is a really big issue because it's the most regulated vaccine. It's so highly mandated. People cannot go walk into most clinics without having a current rabies shot. If we could somehow, I mean, this is such a stretch to, you can't come out to like the veterinary profession and say, do you guys know that viruses really don't exist? They just cuckoo. They'd be so, like, oh, she's crazy. Lock her up. Lock her up. Those kooky people. So how do you start to present this to where you can get, I don't know, get people to see how ridiculous. I really don't know. I mean, I wish I did because people struggle with this all the time. People don't take their pets in when sometimes they should because they don't want to have to deal with the being criticized for feeding raw and not wanting to vaccinate. And so it's a, it's a really, really big problem, but how do you, how do you convince a profession that's so indoctrinated into this whole rabies thing that it's just all a bunch of lies and it doesn't even, that's what I believe. I think everything we've been taught, the more aware I become of what's going on in the world, we've been lied to about everything, medicine, world history, we've been lied to and we've been programmed and, and we've been lied to and, you know, people may have a hard time accepting that, but, um, I've been listening to some pretty outside the box stuff. And you know, you know, when something just sounds true, it's how it can sound totally crazy, but you know what, that, 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 you know, sometimes I just think, you know, that sounds kind of nuts, but that explains a lot. And when I get that feeling like that, I know it's probably true. And we've been lied to about a lot. So we need to accept that and we need to revamp how we, how we think about things, but to get, you know, the veterinary profession, we need to start a new, let's say what Dr. Cowan's doing with his like new biology clinic. Like we need to just start a whole new paradigm, not do both, (laughs) not switch back and forth. We just start a new thing, a new movement. This is how we practice medicine. You don't go back and forth, but then people would need to have a way of having all their needs met within that new you know, uh, system. Yeah. And I, I've, I'm kind of watching how he's doing that. So I, uh, when I was in uh, listening and talking to him and I, and I asked him, we'll talk about Parvo here in a second. And I asked him about that the other day, but I kind of watch how he does it. So he takes people that are experts in their field. Okay. So if they're in neurology, he thinks virologist, you know, I doubt he would have a virologist because he's like, that's all backwards. But he takes those folks that will actually think outside of the box, that actually test outside of the box, that actually doesn't follow the narrative, right? Mm-hmm. And he brings those onto his team. Mm-hmm. And and he doesn't even, you know, he was talking about um, natural, uh, not, I guess they're called naturopathic or naturopath doctors, mm-hmm. he even gets on them and he's like, look, a lot of times they just take medicines that are still pharmaceuticals, right? And in a different form and prescribe those as well. So he 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 looks meaning that they're not that much different than traditional doctors. Yeah. What they're he just saying. using, they're using herbs and supplements. The mentality is the same. Somebody comes into them and they're using herbs and supplements. They're sending them out the door with herbs and supplements instead of pharmaceuticals, but their approach to health is the same. What can we give this person to fix them instead right. of getting to the root cause and acknowledging that the body can heal itself. And right. What do you, what's the underlying imbalance? What's off? Is it, is it nutrition or some imbalance, maybe a nutrient deficiency, but you can correct those 
through diet, you know, and I've been down that road. I've been to naturopaths. I've been to a couple of chiropractors and, you know, they do the, the muscle testing and all that. And I'd end up on 15 or 20 supplements. And I'm like, I don't even know if any of this stuff's doing me any good. I know. And I'd go off of all of it eventually. Cause I don't think it, whether you spend hundreds and hundreds of dollars a month. And I'm like, and this all like synthetic stuff comes from good, supposedly good companies, but it's still all a bunch of synthetic nutrients. So the mindset is, is the same as the conventional doctors. They're just using a different tool. It's different than truly looking at, okay, how do we fix the terrain? How do we, how do we support the body's natural systems and uh, allow the natural healing process to take place? And finding those vets, I have no idea. (laughs) I have no idea. Cause even a lot of you know, so-called holistic vets are not, are not really holistic. It's, it's the same thing. They're still conventional, but they maybe do a little acupuncture. Hey, I prescribe an herb here and there, but they're still mostly conventional. So finding people that, you know, would have that just say this narrative is BS. I mean, you just have to get to that point where you just say this whole, everything we've been taught, the whole narrative is BS. And it's not easy you know, I mean, because you're trained, you spent all this money for your education. And now you're going to tell somebody that was all a bunch of lies. I mean, I'm far enough down the road that I, I can say that and I can see it. But um, getting other people on board, I don't know. I'd like to know how he finds those. Maybe there's enough people on the human side that are willing to cross that bridge. Maybe they COVID woke up more human practitioners, maybe. I yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, they the um. He, he was talking the other day and I need to find this because there is a written paper on it. He was saying about vaccines, if you really understood how they were made, you would understand why they are unsafe. And he said, you know, he's talking about Dale Bigtree. Uh, he was talking about Robert Kennedy Jr. And he said, look, these guys understand that they're not safe, but they don't understand how they're made. And he said, you really need to understand how they're made and why they're toxic. Mm-hmm. Why? He said, because, and so, you know, he only has so much time to answer all these questions that people mm-hmm. have. And and a lot of the questions that come up are going to be on vaccines. Um, people talk about, you know, ask about teeth. They ask about, you know, chemo. There's all sorts of, I always come in there and ask about dog stuff. Mm-hmm. Right. He's like, okay, here's Dee again. She's, the dog lady. <laughs> she's coming back. Um, you know, and so I asked him about Parvo and, and you and I were talking about this before the podcast because somebody in my brother's neighborhood dropped off nine puppies, nine puppies, all different ages, all different breeds um, w- with a blanket and some kibble and took off. They saw the car, but they could not get the, um, license plate the youngest puppy was stumbling around and uh clearly it was tiny his ribs were showing um it was a she and it was drinking drinking water and it wasn't vomiting but it was like the water just like the dog couldn't swallow or something Mm. the water was just coming out right Mm. so this puppy died and so the question was do they have distemper or do they have parvo now before we go any further, can you um, separate the two and talk about what distemper looks like versus what parvo looks like? Parvo, in my experience, is intestinal. It's vomiting and diarrhea. Like, and they can't hold anything down. They usually won't even try to eat or drink anything. And they have this profuse, watery, bloody diarrhea. Just, just, it's like they're just passing digested blood. It's, it's, it's bad. I mean, but it's all digestive or or, uh, intestinal distemper. What we would call distemper in my experience, distemper is much more fatal because it affects lots of different systems. And so these, those puppies would have crusty nose and eyes. They'd have respiratory, they'd have neurologic signs. So like not being able to stand, they'd have weird muscle twitches, puppies that would survive distemper, what we would call distemper. I don't even know what that is or was anymore. I haven't seen don't really see distemper anymore, but um, they get these weird muscle twitches, like their top of their head would twitch or their 
the jaw would do that like chattery thing or, you know, and that sometimes that, that never went away. Like they would continue that if they lived, but, and, and there would also be GI symptoms. So it's like affected, it appeared to affect like the whole body. And so those puppies were really hard to save, but Parvo in my experience was pretty treatable. I mean, probably I'd say at least 85% of puppies would survive. They'd usually need to be hospitalized, you know, or they'd need fluid therapy. I've treated some like on an outpatient basis where they'd come into the clinic. When I had a clinic where we didn't have anybody there overnight, put them on IVs all day, send them home, bring them back the next morning. And um, for people that just didn't want to, couldn't afford to go to the ER, didn't want to go to the ER. Um, But that would, that would, that would save a lot of puppies that way. So what's strange about this? So that little puppy died. Okay. Mm -hmm. Two other puppies started kind of acting lethargic i don't think that there was massive vomiting and there certainly wasn't bloody diarrhea but they took those two puppies in and they tested positive for parvo Mm. um so they they uh put them on fluids uh you know they did some other things for them and they survived the question is what if Parvo is a virus. If Parvo is a virus, why do we treat Parvo with antibiotics? One and number two, what is this test? I mean, what? It's so confusing to me, right? And so I asked Dr. Cowan that question. I was like, "What is Parvo? Clearly, clearly, it is killing dogs. Clearly, we see those dogs die." something yeah right and he said there are no viruses because we we've tried and tried and tried to take a virus from an animal and make another animal sick we've tried it with people right a true isolation of a virus has never really happened and so i say what the heck's going on because clearly these other puppies tested for parvo he said, Didi, you know, that's a loaded question. You have to look at the total environment. You know, where, you know, what, what have they been eating? What have they been subjected to? What have they all been subjected, subjected to, right? Not that they're passing anything back and forth. But then if you have a parvo puppy, the humans who take on a parvo puppy are terrified that it's going to make their dog at home sick. Now, has that happened? I don't know. It's also confusing. Yeah. yeah. But it doesn't well, make a lot of it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. And I I really question the tests. Like, what are these tests testing for? And especially with no vomiting. Like in my experience, I've never seen a parvo puppy that wasn't vomiting. That's usually the first thing that would start is they would start start puking. So for them to not be vomiting, that's that's really unusual. Um, usually they they just even look at water or food or something and they vomit. But I just I question these tests because the whole diagnostic diagnosis is based on these tests. And remember, you know, I mean, COVID just made me question so many things. Remember how they would talk about these PCR tests and the cycling, and you could cycle those enough times that that it, you know there was was somebody that did this. They tested I don't know pineapple juice or something, and it tested positive for COVID. Like. Right. You, if the tests could, what are the tests testing for? You know, I, I don't know, don't know the answer to that, but I bought some, I'm going to test some different stuff and see if I could get it, get it to test positive on something that I know is not, is not parvo. But I, I don't think my, my concern about all this is that these tests are completely bogus and they're not really properly diagnosing the puppy. So if we say, okay, viruses don't exist. And then we ask the question, well, then what is making the puppy sick? Parasites are huge. I mean, I would say that a high, high percentage of puppies that would test positive to parvo um, also have parasites, which, you know, kind of make, it's weakening their system. And then if they had poor diets, got into something else toxic, um, especially little puppies like this, then, you know, it kind of makes sense. But I had a dog once, a little three pound chihuahua, um, and she was on raw. She had, had not been vaccinated. I did no sos with her. 
And this is when I had my clinic and we had a dog, quote unquote, part of a puppy in there. And she got a little sick. She vomited a couple times and had a little bit of diarrhea. And I thought, well, I better test her. She tested a strong positive, but she never got really sick. I never she just had that little bit of vomiting and diarrhea and got over it. So, but then that appears to be contagion there, right? Had the par parvo puppy, she gets sick. They weren't in direct contact. It would have just been somebody, you know, at that point in time where I'm still thinking, well, okay, this is virus, still thinking, okay, somebody maybe didn't, you know, wash their hands after they touched the parvo puppy and touched her or brought it out of the kennel on their shoes or whatever. Mm -hmm. But if there are no viruses, then what is that? Like I can, I can get on board with there's no viruses, but then how do you explain, okay, there's this puppy sick, my puppy gets sick. They're not in direct contact, like, and they don't have similar, you know, backgrounds or histories. They've never been in the same environment. So why did they both get sick? So I, you know, I don't, I don't know the answer. And again, what's the test testing for? Why did she test positive my dog when she was never even around this other, this other puppy? So a lot of unanswered questions there. You could test your poop and Chris's poop and yeah. Max's poop. And yeah. see, see if you can see if you get a positive parvo on Chris. I want to see if they're, I want to see if they're testing, test poop. And I also wonder about the blood because most parvo puppies have bloody diarrhea. So is the, mm. the test picking up something in the blood or if it's parasite related, is there something in the parasites, you know, that it's, pick, I don't know. I just, if we don't believe viruses exist, then what on earth is this test testing for? And what do these puppies have? Because there's obviously a thing that when they mm -hmm. test positive, they get, they're very sick and they can die from it. So. Right. And I, that? I don't think that, you know, and, and, and people could say, listeners could say, well, that proves it's a virus. Does it? We don't know. The thing is, if you're ever really going to get to the truth, you have to be able to abandon the thinking that you started with. You have to be willing to say, all right, why do we think that there, first of all, why do we think there's no viruses? And then you go to the source, the people who have actually been able to think that way and look at the testing different, right? Because the, the whole premise of there's a virus comes from this non truly not isolating the uh, fluid, right? Because you take that, you take that fluid, let's say you get from a, a contagious person or a puppy or whatever, spin it down, separate it, and now you've got an isolation. But they don't stop there. They put it in, you know, on this however they mix it. And then they put antibiotics on that and they put other things to try to, you know, isolate it, but they're changing it. They, they create this like toxic soup. Yeah. And, and then they try to, then they look at it and they see something in there that they call a virus, but it's never ever. And this is to me, the most valid point that to me, that says that viruses don't exist. They have, nobody has ever taken these things that they call viruses and proved that they can infect another person. They've never taken it, what they're identifying in the microscope and infected another person. And, and matter of fact, I think it was the Spanish flu in people that they say now is caused by um, electromagnetic telegraph lines mm -hmm. because people were getting sick because they'd never been exposed to that kind of radiation before. They literally had people that had these symptoms come in and, and cough they used prisoners and they would cough on them and they'd ask people to volunteer to be you know coughed on and they could not get make another person sick through through contagion like that so it's it's never been proven a that viruses exist and b that that they're contagious yet it appears that there are circumstances where one dog gets sick and then another dog gets sick with similar symptoms. You know, Dr. Cowan uses the example of scurvy. So you have sailors on a ship and they're all getting sick with the same symptoms. So you could say, well, there's some virus going through them. Mm -hmm. Well, you go feed them some oranges and they all get better because they were all had the same deficiency. They all had 
vitamin C deficiency. So is there something like that that's a common thread in these puppies that supposedly have parvo? I would say, yes, there is, I, I, but I don't know what that is. I, I wish we could figure that out. Right. Because when we are confused, when we are frightened, it's easy for us to do things that aren't in our best interest mm-hmm. or our or pet's pet. best interest, yeah. right? Just mm-hmm. like this whole respiratory you know, thing that's going around. They're not really giving you concrete information. Oh, dogs have died. Well, yeah, it doesn't even say they died from this pneumonia. It right. just says they've died. Well, yeah, dogs die all the time. They get old and they die. We all do. Right. And, you know, we've seen it time and time again when they'll come out with a rabies scare or they'll come out with this part of the country has an outbreak of, you know, uh, flea and tick or heartworms. Heartworms is a big one, right? And then everybody goes rushing in because they want to protect their dogs. They want to protect their cats. That's why we do the things that we do because we want to protect our animals. But how do you get people to do things that they normally wouldn't do? You scare them. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And people want to take care of their pets. I mean, people are well-intentioned and probably the vets are well-intentioned too. They probably believe that's in the best, you know, best interest of their, of their patients. But this is the absolute worst time. You know, you've got something going on that's causing symptoms. Now you're going to go load up all the dogs with a bunch of vaccines, run down their immune system, and they're going to get even sicker. And I bet anything they're going to come out with some new fangled vaccine for whatever this is that they're going to, they're going to decide to call it, but it's, it's all, I hear this stuff and I just think it's all fear propaganda. And I'm just telling my clients, keep your dogs healthy, keep them on the good diet. You know, maybe add in some immune boosters, which isn't a bad idea anyway, some mushrooms, some algae, some things that just can kind of boost the, um, the immune system. But, but I bet you know, like we've talked about, we touch a very small percentage of pet parents. And I bet you the majority of all the others are running in to get, you know, updated vaccines. You know, it's the holidays now, people are traveling, you know, so they're going to make sure, you know, it's, I, it's no coincidence that it's a time of year where people are going to be boarding their dogs a lot, you know, right before the holidays. So, you know, make sure that and, and scare not only the pet parents, but now they're scaring all the kennels. Right. So what are the kennels going to do? The daycares, they're going to up their, you know, um, their qualification or their requirements for vaccines for the people coming in, you know, because they don't want this in their kennel either. So it's just it's just to sell vaccines, in my opinion. It's it. And and I don't think we ever make this correlation. My dog was super healthy. Propaganda came out. I ran in and got them vaccinated. And then they started coughing, having this respiratory illness. Thank goodness I vaccinated because they might've died. It's like, what? Could have been been a lot worse if I hadn't gotten all those shots. Yeah, right. Or maybe they wouldn't have gotten sick in the first place if they hadn't gotten all the shots. Yeah. And all you have to do, and call me a conspiracy theorist, all you want, but all you have to, thank you. All you (laughs) have. to do is make a few dogs sick so we can get the narrative out there like that you know just hit them in a couple of spots take a couple of you have to watch the statistics too i remember it was a few years ago i I say few it was probably 10 but they they were talking about the influenza when influenza like we didn't used to have an influenza shot till we had an influenza outbreak in dogs and they you have to really watch because they'd say well there was a hundred percent increase because it went from one case to two cases. That's a hundred percent increase. But we had, it was like in California or something. So we've got two cases in the whole state of California. Oh, that's an outbreak for sure. And look at the increases. So check the data. It's usually not what they're- If you can find it. Yeah, right. If there is even any data, which there probably probably is not. They just got to keep people- got to keep people afraid and um then people yeah as you said knee jerk spend money run into the vet um you know it's it's really 
it's really sad and I see through it. It's really sad to me to see what the veterinary profession has become. That's what we need a whole new like thing. It's not even veterinary medicine. It's just a whole new something. That's why I think he, you know, Dr. Cowan calls it the new biology clinic. Yeah. Right. That's a great, it's a great name. Yeah. Yeah. And every, I mean, I've asked him some other questions about AFib you know, like statins, all this kind of stuff, because my mom's 81 and she, you know, has these things that, you know, her heart races sometimes. And, and his comments are way different than her doctors, I will say, mm-hmm. oh, you know, sure. and, uh, but let me ask you a- another question. So when you see, a dog, Dr. Jasek, that has crusty eyes, crusty ears, okay? And we are getting ready, guys. We we were going over the slides this morning. We are getting ready to launch the Itchy Dog course, the Itchy Dog course with Dr. Jasek. We have the cancer course on the website. Uh, you've got it on your site as well, Dr. Jasek mm-hmm. at ahavet.com. The cancer course, if you don't want your dog to have cancer, if you don't want to do things that might be causing cancer, uh, this is a great course to take. Itchy dogs are an epidemic. Okay. We get these dogs, Dr. Jasek, that are itch, itch, itch. Okay. People put them on Cytopoint for years. And then maybe they're on antibiotics and they're on kibble. And they just can't understand why this dog's still itching. But when you see a dog that has these, you know, where they've itched around the eyes and they've got crusty eyes and the the tips of their ears and they're starting to lose their hair on their legs and everything, what immediately comes to mind when you see that? Yeah, that, that sounds like autoimmune to me. And part of that is the location. So autoimmune disease tends to occur at mucocutaneous junctions. And what that means is where we have a mucous membrane meeting the skin. So eyes, nose, um, sometimes around the anus or uh, vulva in females. Um, that's that's where we tend to see it the most. And um, we'll see it sometimes in the ear margins. I think that the ear margins, that's like a vasculitis because the ear, the ear flap doesn't have a lot of blood supply because it's mostly cartilage with a thin layer of skin over it. You don't have that subcutaneous tissue. So if, if the blood vessels, it's like they get little like blood clots or something that where the, basically the ear margin is losing its blood supply is essentially what's happening. And it's sort of, sort of dying back. And so that's a little bit different. That's a vasculitis, but those things are more autoimmune and it's, that's different than just reacting to, you know, something in the environment or, you know, um, breaking out in hives because they, you know, um, you know, got a bee sting or something like that. That's a whole different, whole different ballgame and it'll respond to, to different treatments. But that's, those are dogs that have been on poor diets, over-vaccinated, you know, and, and these drugs like the Cytopoint and Apical is even worse because it, um, they suppress the immune system. And if all you do is you suppress the immune system, I mean, it does help with symptoms, but you're never going to get a normal immune system. That's why you stop those drugs and they usually flare up big time because all you're doing is suppressing the symptoms and that immune system has no idea how to function normally. And we'll talk about that in our, the part two of the skin, where we get into how to treat it and how not to treat it. Right. That's that's in the how not to treat it. Right. And, and one of the things you guys, you can say all you want, pet parents, you can say all you want. I had to vaccinate because it's required. Just because it's required and you vaccinated them does not mean that there will not be consequences to that, okay? So I know that that's confusing for pet parents. They're like, well, how is it that something that is required, a three-year vaccination schedule, even if it's just mm-hmm. the rabies? You were talking about the the, the dog that got the rabies and, mm-hmm. and you know, uh, had that... Um, that symptom, the, the so painful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. auto. I know that's confusing. 
but we see it over and over and over again. And one of the things that that you're going to want to know how to do is how do we get this dog off of these type of medications? How do we get them back to normal? Because I don't, I don't think that if you have a dog on Cytopoint for three years, if you just stop, that there's not going to be some major reactions yeah. in that dog. It may not even be healthy. I don't know. I don't know. Will we well, be especially if that? you're not, especially if you're not getting to the root cause, if you're not changing the diet and you continue to do vaccines and these things that are perpetuating this inflammation in the body. And that's another thing we're going to talk about the difference between inflammation and allergies. Cause I think that is a huge, hugely important distinction because yeah. most people, dogs start itching, they're allergic to something. And it's usually the food that gets blamed and it's usually the meat proteins. And in my experience, that's the least likely culprit. If there's anything in the food, it's the processed carbs and, and, and there's usually other things involved like the, like the vaccines and the thing that gets incriminated the most, the meat protein is the least likely thing. And so people that are feeding kibble that just keep trying different proteins, well, of course it's not going to help because it has nothing to do with the meat protein. So people just start to go down the wrong road. If we look at this, not as allergies, but as inflammation and what are we doing that's perpetuating inflammation, we're going to have a lot better success at getting to the, because you have to correct the the root causes or all the only treatment that's going to ever work is going to be symptomatic. You're never going to get that pet to heal. Right. Yeah. Again, so much confusion. And the more that I look at everything, this is the, this is the goal. When you're confused, you don't make good decisions because you don't know what to do. You're like, I got to do something, but you're kind of going down the wrong path. And I said to this customer the other day, listen, I understand you've been doing these certain things because you didn't have the information at your fingertips. Okay. You don't know. You didn't know. You did what you thought was right. Let me give you some information that might help you make a decision. If I give you this information, you read up on it and you decide you still want to go down that same road, then go down that same road. But you need to have both sides of the story. Mm -hmm. If you have captured information, information, like we talked about coming out of the vet schools, that is the pharmaceuticals information. Now you have a captured audience and you give that information to them and you incentivize that information to go out, right? You've got a huge market there. Oh yeah, totally. And, and, and fear sells. Yeah. You know, fear sells. And, you know, the other thing people <clears throat> need to remember is that mainstream media is is bought it's it's owned by these big corporations that are selling these vaccines and these pharmaceuticals it's a marketing campaign the the news really is just a big marketing campaign and if you start to look at it that way and start to question things based on that um i i think you'll you'll wake up to to a lot of things i mean i stopped watching the you know conventional news many many years ago because i just saw so many things coming up related to my profession where I knew for certain they were false scare tactics like this. And I'm like, okay, I know this area because this is my area of expertise, but then, well, I can't believe anything. You know, I'm not going to believe them in some area I don't know anything about when I know they're lying in, in an area that I, I, I do know something about. So you, you have to realize that, that, they're not putting out the truth. They're not putting out information to help you keep your pet healthy or, you know, for humans to keep humans healthy. It's, it's, it's all about money. It, it's all, a, it's a big selling game. It, it, it's uh, money and control. That's, that's the two objectives of mainstream media. And that may be something a lot of people don't want to accept, but I, there's just no doubt in my mind that that's the truth. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, again, I would encourage everybody as soon as we get this ready to launch and we're going to do it, we'll do it after Thanksgiving. Okay. Mm -hmm. But um, this itchy pet thing also dovetails into cancer. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I think that it it is a great uh, course uh, that you can take and, and become aware. And you've got to start becoming aware before you can affect change. 
Yeah, because, because this is all about, all disease is about reducing inflammation. And if your dog has itchy skin and you, you start working on reducing inflammation, you're, you're preventing some things more serious like autoimmune disease and cancer on down the road. By the time we're at cancer, that dog's had a lot of inflammation for a long time and it's a lot harder to treat. So taking, even if it takes six to 12 months to get your dog's skin calmed down and get their body balanced out, that's well worth it. Cause then you're setting that dog up for the rest of its life to be healthy. And this does take, it's the most challenging thing to treat in my opinion, because you could take 10 dogs with itchy skin, like have similar type symptoms and the underlying causes are going to be different. And the things that they respond to are going to be different for every single one. So you can't just figure it out. You can't just figure it out on the spot. Sometimes like, you know, I'll nail it right off the bat and that's really exciting, but usually it's a process. We start with a, you know, diet and maybe some whole food supplements and some herbs and then some detox. And then we check in in a few weeks. How are things going? Are we going the right direction? Okay, great. Let's keep building on that. Sometimes you have a seasonal shift, you get to spring and fall, and then they start to itch worse again. So it's very cyclical and it's, it's very tricky, but the only thing you're willing to accept is I just want my dog to stop itching right now. Well then go get the apical yeah. and then you'll be treating cancer in a few years yeah. because that's the only thing that's going to, that's going to turn that around that quick is the, is the symptomatic treatment. If you really want your pet healthy, you have to start with the underlying causes. Well, and, and the question is, can you really detox a dog if you're continuing to do Cytopoint or Apoquil? You really can't because you don't have a functioning immune system at that point. And it's yeah. like, how, how do you, I mean, so you could say, well, the detox didn't work. Okay. But you're still, so you have to look at the whole picture. Are you still putting in all of the things that right. are, are, are compromising that immune system? Right. Right. You have to stop poisoning them. Right. And then the question is, how do I make them comfortable while I stop poisoning them? Yeah. And that's tricky. And sometimes I'll, I'll do something more conventional. I don't use Apoquil. I'll sometimes use a little prednisone short-term because Sometimes the inflammation's so bad and it's so like the dog can't ever rest, can't ever sleep. The dogs that are just constantly, the ones that just can't ever, the dogs that can be distracted. Like I always ask, okay, take your dog on a walk. Is it stopping to itch while you're on the walk or once it's out sniffing around, it's distracted, it's okay. And then, and if people say, no, they, they're on a walk, they're fine. Um, then those dogs, the level of itch is not as high. If somebody says, yeah, dog stopping every 10 feet to scratch. Well, then I think sometimes we need to buy some time, but it's a matter of, okay, give the dog some relief, give the whole household some relief, because I know this is challenging while we're instituting the other things, but then we're immediately working to get them off of, of those medications. Um, and I use something like prednisone just because it's, it's been around a long time. And I feel like I know how it acts. I know what to expect. I know how much to use and I know how to get them on and wean them off of it pretty quick while we're using these other things to get the symptoms under control. But that's only for the super, super severely itchy dogs. Um, but things like that, Apoquil, man, it's hard to get dogs off of that. They they have such a huge rebound. They get so much worse. That's yeah. what keeps them on it. They get so much worse when they come off of it. But like you said, if you don't get them off of it, they're never going to, they're never going to get better. Well, and you know, I always say to the pet parents, you know, it's hard to say where the problem really is coming from now because, okay, you're feeding a bad food, right? You're feeding a high sugary carb, crappy food. One, then you, um, the dog's itching. And now it's time for all of their shots. And then the dog's still itching. And now you put them on Apoquil or Cytopoint. So it's like, where did it start? And yes, could could it have been nicked, nipped in the butt if we had taken them off all that food, supported, you know, the gut, um, and and really done some other things. And so now it's very convoluted and it's uh, it's built on itself 
right? Mm-hmm. It's like all of these different things. So I get it. Um, you know, and this one, uh, this one pet parent who's starting to see in their dog. So they, they've only been on raw like three days, three days. And they started seeing where this dog's hair was falling out. And they were contacting me and saying, you know, what's going on with my dog? And I'm looking at it thinking, wow, that dog's not in good shape at all. Well, come to find out he'd been through rounds of vaccines, three years on Cytopoint, mm. lots of antibiotics. And then his vet, also, another vet, had said uh, that raw could be full of parasites. So, oh, you know, yeah, of course, wanna... that's what's causing it. Made this made all that hair fall, fall out in three days, right? right. Has nothing right, right. to do with all the other stuff. Right. right. And so his comment was, my dog was fine up until three days ago. And I was like, no, no, no. Your dog's been on side point for three years. Right. That's not fine. The dog hasn't been fine. Right. 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 So we're going to do that itchy webinar, uh, of course. So we'll let you guys know it's coming out soon. In the meantime, if you want to work with Dr. Judy Jasek, you would like for her to review pictures of your dog, uh, some, some of your uh, lab work, uh, anything like that, and kind of give you an assessment of where your dog is, I think it's highly advisable, right? Because if some of these dogs are heading straight for cancer, and we'd like to nip that in the butt before that uh, prevent happens. Prevent it, for yeah. sure. Yeah. So you want to go over to ahavet.com, ahavet.com. Listen, I don't know what you're going to feed your dog. If your dog has issues, you got to get them on a species-appropriate diet. That means a diet they were born to eat. And that is called raw, not cooked. <laughs> okay. Not, you know. They can't build campfires without opposable thumbs I know. to cook their what? food. They they have a hard time. What's going that. on? I, I mean, always maybe... say to Max, like, Max, why don't you help out more around you? Like, mom, don't got opposable thumbs. You can't do it. <laughs> oh, so that old it. excuse. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. Yes. Yes, absolutely. They need to be on a species raw diet. And uh, if you want to get into the whole parasite thing, okay, whatever. Give us a call. Give us a shout. We'll talk to you about it. Go to rawdogfoodandcompany.com. That's rawdogfoodandcompany.com, where your pet's health is our business. And what, Dr. Jasek? Friends don't let friends feed or fix kibble. That's right. Oh, snap. Snap. Find out how you can start your dog on the road to health and longevity. Go to rawdogfoodandcompany.com, where friends don't let friends feed kibble and where your pet's health is our business. Just snap.